Hello, all, and welcome to the Fantasy and Sci-Fi Fanatics podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Kubal. Today, I have me a very special guest, Jack Slocum. Jack, how are you doing today? Not too bad. Thank you, Daniel. How are you? Oh, excellent. Excellent. Feels good anytime I can, you know, find people on social media or somewhere to come and talk a little bit of writing with me. So I appreciate, you know, that when I reached out to the Facebook group that, you know, you responded and I like that we were able to message each other and get you on. So I'm excited to, you know, see what we can do today and find out about your writing style and your book. Thank you. All right. So Jack, we're going to start. Um, oh, sorry. Go yeah. Ahead. So I guess, no, so I, I guess, um, yeah, no, just big thank you for having me on and uh, oh, hello you. to everybody watching. So I appreciate it. Well, we'll start right there with that first one. Sorry, Jack, you kind of cut out of me. Let me just try to, I think it's been my internet all day. <laughs> we'll go with that first question there. What has your writing journey been like up until this point? Um, so I would say my writing journey has been a lot of late nights and early mornings. Um, it, I mean, for me, it, the, the original concept that I had was, uh, really started for me in primary school. I don't know what you guys would call it in the States, but that, you know, kind of your, um, at the kindergarten, I don't know. Um, but you know, kind of early school and it was an art project and, um, I was making, I had to make a mask um, and oh, for, I was making this mask of, a, of an ancient civilization and I had this idea in my head of that I wanted it to kind of be something Atlantean, something old, but I kind of wanted it to have like a, a, a neo-Aztec vibe to it. This is me thinking as like, a, you know, a seven, eight-year-old, um, but I had this idea of like it was Aztec, but it was kind of Roman, it was kind of Greek, it was something that kind of unified all these different cultures and I remember very specifically making it, this mask. Um, and looking at it and the teacher's like what the hell is that that you've made there and I was like it's I think it's Atlantean so I think I'm not really sure but I kind of had this feeling um, that that was it was there was something there there was some kind of um, there was a, a civilization that came before something like that it was just kind of a, a gut feel um, and it, and that kind of idea stuck with me really and I kind of went I, I went hunting for kind of myths and legends and um, I've always been interested in folklore mythology um, and kind of pursued that when I was doing my archaeology degree um oh, cool. and it was it was a really kind of just a, a lifelong fascination I kind of started making these notes and I remember just being in some lectures um and one of the things I was doing my fieldwork experience I was out digging in eastern Europe and we came we, we were studying this burial um and it was a Neanderthal burial um so it was these two, it was these three Neanderthals that were buried uh, it was a woman in the middle uh, a female and it was these two men and both of the men had their hands on the um, on the pubic area and the pubic area of the woman had been colored in red ochre so that's kind of a traditional uh, neanderthal way of burying somebody it's a hugely symbolic burial and i was looking at it i was thinking okay this is a really interesting relationship what does it mean and there were a lot of theories about it um in terms of you know were they in a were they with the three of them in a relationship was there some sort of jealousy there they clearly all meant something to each other they weren't related there was there was some sort of non-familial relationship going on and the idea popped into my head okay but what if maybe the way that we remember neanderthals because of that crossover period of homo sapiens and, and homo neanderthals um what if that's how we remember nordic dwarves and there's that kind of line of thinking where i started to think okay you know we were out of the jungle for two hundred thousand years what were we doing and you started to look at kind of sites like chattel hewick and gebekli tepe and there's a there's a guy called uh, I think it's Graham Hancock and he's kind of a spiritual successor of, of the, the the Von Daniken chariots of the gods guy mm. 
and they really kind of did this idea of like the ancient alien astronauts and all this kind of thing and I kind of wanted to pursue that down to if it had or if something like that had happened had there been some sort of advanced human civilization once upon a time that was wiped out by some sort of you know the the end of the interglacial period that second interglacial period that we've had um end of that ice age all the sea levels rose that whole you know where we get that whole idea of the of the, the global flood um which is in so many kind of myths and legends so um the kind of the the the, the noah story that we have um and then kind of those different you know, the different versions that you get globally yeah. um what if it what if there was some seed of truth there? So, you know, the sea levels would have risen after that, um, after the end of that ice age. And you, you've got to take all these things with kind of a pinch of salt. You know, you've got to, the the archaeological establishment is moving at its own pace. They're academics. They have to be able to, you know, peer review and, and fact find and, and prove things. Absolutely. It's a scientific method after all. But then, you know, there is this compelling evidence that maybe we don't have the whole picture. And I really wanted to go down the rabbit hole um, and look at it. Okay, well, maybe, okay, let's say hypothetically, there's an advanced civilization out there. So we know that our universe is about 13.4 billion years old. We know that there are star systems out there capable of harboring life about 7 billion kind of years into the universe's existence. So that gives any sort of sentient life out there that hasn't wiped itself out about a 4 billion head year head start on us in terms of technology. And I started to con kind of continue to really sort of tackle these ideas and, and what that meant kind of as a as a story and something started to come out i started to make sort of notes of it of okay well what happened to that civilization it's not here anymore it's disappeared it's gone and it's only sort of remembered through myths and legends why would these these far more advanced beings that maybe came to observers and, and kind of uplifters and that sort of classic sci-fi um story of you know a, a primitive culture that you uplift what happened to them why did they abandon us why did why do we have these stories of of the human fall of you know um the fall of humanity how did we yeah. fall from grace how did we reject maybe this manifest destiny to reach the stars um well how did we screw it all up basically and i think that's a far more sort of compelling story and then how would we ever get back there so if that had happened and yeah. we were abandoned or we were kind of put in quarantine from the rest of the universe or you know they're like these kind of they're not they need to be left alone for a bit they haven't matured yet um how do we how would we ever get back there and so the 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 sort of writing journey for that was starting to flesh out those characters and really kind of research the world mythologies and kind of and trying to find those common links and start to make notes and, and pursue that idea kind of you know the if i if you had kind of dwarves as that that nordic dwarf idea that mythological mythological idea if those were the neanderthals then what is that other, what is that culture like um and, and it went right down to kind of the magic system. So what is the most plausible magical magic system that I could think of? And so I started to um, research cymatics. So that's the science of how sound has a physical impact on matter. Um, so, you know, you can if you look at any cymatic experiment and on the Cladney plates, you can see how sounds um, on those plates have geometric patterns, for example. Mm. Um, and for me, that was, you know, that was that was magic. Um, there's a fantastic writer, a British writer called Alan Moore. I'm sure many of your audience will know um, Alan Moore. Um, and you know, he's a kind of a big advocate of this kind of idea that you speak, you utter words, and that is, you know, it's magic. It's that whole idea of the spell. Um, and so, I started to, as I more pursued these ideas, I started to kind of map out the world. It kind of expanded from these seeds. Um, 
and you know what are the limitations of it so it's all just about how do you limit that power how do you control it yeah. how do you um how do you kind of not you, you can't just have it free reign you can't have kind of these you know titanic godlike figures walking amongst yeah, among yeah. us because it doesn't quite work it kind of it's the superman problem isn't it superman's powerful yeah. character so how do you limit that character if you have that herculean strength and you have to limit it by the emotional kind of weight you know and in his adherence to a set of principles and rules otherwise you end up with somebody like homelander in the boys yeah, so it's yeah. very easy to give into that yeah um and so it's always about limiting the power, limiting this vast technology and, and wiping it out and wiping it out so convincingly that it, you could have a culture like ours and look back and it's completely removed from the archaeological record bar, those sort of myths and legends. And so that's really where it began from. Um, and I just started to kind of make those notes and craft out that story. And it ended up being this huge kind of monolithic meta story. And what occurred to me was that there was no real human element to it. There was no was no when you when you watch a war film it's not about the the, the politics and the and the strategy so much it's actually about the human suffering within that yeah, story yeah. Yeah, that's why you know when you watch something like saving private ryan it's a compelling story of a, of a group of you know kind of um you know brothers who are forced together into a situation and you're seeing it through their eyes yeah. and that's what makes the story compelling it's what adds that emotional gravitas and weight to the narrative um and so that's when i started to kind of figure out the characters and, and what was the human story in the in the pivotal moments um you know and kind of, i guess it's kind of that george lucas problem of you want to tell the clone war story but to get people interested in hearing about that story you kind of you know reference it and go oh you'll find you know me and your father fought in the clone wars it's like what's that what i'm sorry what and you kind of go back to that 20 years later that's kind of the ambition the hope but right now you kind of need to tell the exciting bit it's about blowing up the death star and kind of doing that so as i started kind of zeroing about what's the interesting bit of the story and the interesting bit of the story where the narrative picks up is you've got this immortal king who is kind of the inspiration for biblical adam mm. um and you have this culture that has been you know kind of you have this semi-perfect utopia opian civilization um and then how does that how does the first crack in that appear so it's been around for a thousand years humanity will be you know hitting the stars within the next thousand years um you've got this kind of you know the, the wants and needs are cared for um you have a kind of an economic system which leaves nobody behind it's a it's a kind of a, a, a balanced economic system where people are cared for and taken care of and and you know there are there is that you know the other cultures of humanity which kind of probably more fall closely into how we have societies now but you have this utopia so how does the first crack in that appear mm. and that's where the that's where the story began really and it's just kind of I got it wrong multiple times um trying to figure out what was the most interesting story so for example when you look at the wheel of time books i think the originally the the, the hero in that was kind of middle-aged and you think well that's not really that interesting yeah, kind of, yeah. You, you do you do you can have interesting middle-aged heroes but you really want to kind of get there when these people are, are kind of young and what's the most interesting bits and and you want to kind of tell that story how do they what's their arc of adventure um it's the whole kind of Joseph Campbell thing, really. You know, how do you go through those stages of the heroic journey? Um, but then how do you play it? How do you make it interesting? How do you keep people engaged? So it was then starting to map that out and then kind of bring in the villains and and, and bring in those events. Um, but for me, it was very much create, get the plot right and then find out how the characters deal with those plot points. So there's the kind of, the, there's a structure that I can play with. And it was a lot of rewrites. I think I kind of, I got I got through the first draft and then 
I think I was about halfway through it and thought, this is awful. I hate <laughs> all of this. I'm not really writing what I want to write here. I'm telling a story that I think I have to tell. Yeah. Um, and having the courage to kind of go like, no, I'm going to get rid of that. Just throwing out those chapters, be like, they're good. They're, you know, I think they're well written. They're engaging. They're interesting. But it's not the, that's not the story. There's a brilliant, brilliant anecdote from Robert E. Howard, the, the writer of the Conan stories, and he says, like, you know, I have to write these stories because I can feel Conan standing there behind me. So no, I was the only like, one that ever heard that story before. Thank no, you. No, and it's a great I've said story. That and it's a great times. Yeah, yeah, and I love it because cool. it is. You, you feel the weight of those characters yeah. behind you, and you're like, I, I. And I think there's a kind of not skipping ahead, but kind of in terms of the character creation, if you do have a living, breathing character, you start to feel like, well, I have to tell your story now. I kind of, I do owe it to you as individuals. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you kind of wonder, you know, is it, is it the muse reaching out and kind of grabbing you, or is it the sort of, you know, are you are you calling from something? There's some eternal story that you're sort of trying to trying to tell and you're just happen to be the vessel of articulation for that moment mm -hmm. or you know it's all just voices in your head either way hopefully you know it kind of pays the bill so who cares but um <laughs> you know you 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 owe it then um so it was just it was graft and i think that's one of the biggest things when you start to go on that writing journey it is constant self-doubt um absolute crushing knocks to your confidence you sort of you know having a coffee break with somebody and you're going i think i'm gonna do this idea and they go that's awful just don't don't do that that's a terrible idea you should do stuff with like explosions and and like you know transformers and stuff like that and like i think that's been done though there's a reason so, why michael bay is is kind of yeah it was it was it was there for a while right and then people kind of lack luster after a while so. i mean going off on a huge tangent i don't know what's going on in the transformers films i don't know if it's just because i'm old now but i can't see it's just like moving lights and metal and I'm just like, i don't know what's happened here i've lost the thread of this sheila booth was in here somewhere but i've lost him <laughs> is he still in it i don't know um bless him um so yeah kind of yeah that was it was just graft it's hard work and it is slog and it is i think stephen king's kind of had the best bit of advice i've ever heard it's concise and beautiful um i don't what did shakespeare say saying you know things in a concise short way without wasting too much time is the source of where all brevity is the source of it one of the two um but it, it was that writer's right that's what stephen king said and it's yeah. just it's that it's the graft and terry pratchett i don't know if you know i don't know if you come across terry oh pratchett. yeah yeah um and it, that kind of it, he would kind of write just two or three hundred words he'd have like a he'd got a job as a press officer and just even if it's two or three hundred words and you've got it done that's what it would be so my you know my day job is writing for kind of commercial stuff but mm. you'd come in and you're exhausted like you know yourself yeah. um, you kind of you, you write in the day um and you're exhausted by the end of it and you're just kind of like oh, i don't want to do anymore i don't want to write anything <laughs> i would you know i'd love to just sort of pour a scotch and you know watch some tv or whatever and you think, no, I'll, I'll just get in there. And then you kind of start to feel the rhythm of it. And you mm -hmm. kind of, you know, you're doing that whole kind of honouring the muse thing. And it's, you know, like by the end of it, you've written that a thousand words. Like, oh, that was a good day, actually. That was okay. That was all right. Um, but you've got to put the graft in. And it is graft. It's slog. And it's lonely. And it's miserable. Yeah. And it's, um, it is hard work. But then you do get that one individual that goes, this is not awful. It's not the worst <laughs> thing I've ever read. And you go, thanks, mum. And you carry on writing a bit more. Um, so yeah, is that yeah? I think that's for for me. That is very been very much the journey: slog and hard work and self doubt, self doubt. Um, but you get there in the end, and you just have to persevere with it. And the rewards are, if nothing else, you've told the story in you. And I think that's really important. We are storytellers by 
by our nature. It's how we've communicated ideas and knowledge um, throughout the ages. And I think that's incredibly mm -hmm. important. Um, and I think if you at least do that much, uh, then that's a really great personal achievement. So, yeah, I guess that's kind of been the, the journey that I've gone on. Um, yeah, just slogging away, chipping away <laughs> at the marble, hoping there's an image in there somewhere. Yeah. Speaking of Cody, and at one point, I, I love Robert E. Howard. Uh, he, I forget what book it was, but he says, um, one of the older guys is talking, he's like, the long, lonely walk. And I used to have this long, lonely walk from the commuter lot in Michigan State when I stopped living on campus after my senior year. Mm -hmm. And I had an extra, like, whatever, like, year worth of courses. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, you need all these. And I would literally walk, like, two miles in the snow to class and then back and I would listen to yeah. music or something but I, I would just say that I would I read that that year and I was like the long lonely walk and then once I picked up writing again I was like god this is the long lonely walk <laughs> like, no matter it is you know no matter what if you're in a writing group or no it really doesn't make sense even as a co-author you know you usually do some writing and come back and then you do it together it's like it's still it's a very lonely profession at times which is nice to get to talk to other writers about it and be like yeah that's that's how it feels <laughs> i think I, I think there's a there's that there is a beauty in it in its loneliness because that's i think true. if you are if you i think we're all kind of you i think we all gravitate to it as right as because we are um we're observers and we're mm -hmm. for one reason or another so for me it was you know kind of not getting too kind of Jungian and Freudian about it but I was an only child and so you kind of find you, that's how you begin to interact with the world through observation to understand well how do I how can I fit into it um and I think you start to so for me I've always carried a notebook around so I've always scribbled Ooh. kind of ideas I'll be at work and I've got the kind of leather bound kind of uh Indiana Jones last and the crusade kind of notebook <laughs> that I'd always scribble my ideas in like I'd be like just like kind of having a conversation with somebody and then walk off and go and make notes um okay. or wake up in the middle of the night and be kind of oh, I've had an idea I need to go and write this down that eureka moment um and it is that it is but the loneliness I think is the loneliness and the isolation being able to be sort of be left alone with your thoughts is is that is that sweet spot of when the moment happens and you're yeah, like yeah, yeah. ah I know how to make that character work or that plot point work or something and if you kind of it's more it's, it's almost kind of like a that well those tanks the 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 tanks where you kind of the the, the put you in and the kind of the sensory oh, deprivation yeah, tanks yeah, but yeah, sensory, yeah. sensory 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 deprivation, deprivation tank yeah. of the soul if you like yep. oh, yeah yeah awesome. um um so yeah i mean yeah i think that's probably that's how I feel about it. I think that's the journey. I think you kind of have to deprive yourselves of those things, and it's the grind and the and the and the slog, and you keep chipping away, and then eventually you do, you start to see those little glimmers of gold, and it starts to flow, and you start to, you improve in, in your craft as well. Um, so, yeah. yeah, I guess uh, that's that would be that would be my journey: the slog and the grind, and those occasional epiphanies. <laughs> I like that slog and the grind, occasional epiphanies. That should be a T-shirt by far. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, so for the second one there, that was a great answer, by the way. For the second one there, what genre or genres do you currently write in and why? Um I I so it's I would say it's fantasy science fiction, um, in that kind of Gene Wolf style, but in this but I think if you I think there's a I don't think you have to rigidly be I am fantasy, I am sci-fi oh, sure. or horror. And I think yeah. actually when you are telling a story there's there's natural moments where you can it's comedy yeah, yeah. um or it is horror so i like to have a lot of comedy oh, um 
yeah right absolutely right for me it's kind of the you know painful and required loves or you know kind of that 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 um lustful tension that sort of stuff um or just kind of there's a so there's a, a going back to that neanderthal example there's a there are characters in my book and they are they're they're in they are married to each other the three of them and they raise a family and that's just their culture the, you know they quite they quite happily you know you have like a husband um it's a it's a matriarchal society the 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 wife picks a you know a first kind of husband partner um and then together that couple then decided that they wanted to bring somebody else into the marriage and, and they had another husband in there and they kind of they're just a family and they're kind of you know the two husbands and a wife and they kind of all love each other and support each other and they have kids and you know they're not really that bothered about you know the, the, the kids in the family um and they are the one of the husbands is the best friend of the of one of the protagonists and they have a really great kind of comedic foil and it is very much kind of one of the relationships that I have with one of my one of my friends where I will say the most um offensive outrageous things that I can because he's so <laughs> straight laced he's one of the best guys I've, I've ever met honestly he's, a, he's an absolute bastion of principle um but I just find myself baiting him and kind of winding him up I'm trying to say <laughs> the most gr- disgustingly unhelpful or grotesque things that I can do um and winding him up and annoying him um, it just brings out like we go back to being like 11 or 10 years old as soon as we're in his company in each other's company um and I can't help myself I just kind of it's just how our particular friendship works yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there's that element there's that element of comedy in there kind of because I know he knows that what I'm going to say he knows I'm going to do something or I'm going to do get that naughty glint to my eye and so I think when you're kind of doing genres you don't have to like I think there's you can do that whole sort of stereotypical fantasy thing and it's almost like thor in the in the marvel films where you kind of like you know going yes verily i shall it's sort of like mock renaissance shakespearean english um that nobody ever spoken um as far as i know i don't think anyone in the uk ever spoke like that but i might be wrong um but it's it's, it's kind of almost hilarious and funny but then science fiction doesn't have to be all kind of like cool cyberpunk or matrixy or whatever um and i think people like Terry Pratchett going back to him he was quite he's a, he a great he, he sent he understood the motifs and kind of the rules of fantasy so well that he could send them up um, and I think that's a fun thing to be able to do so I don't think I don't think I've ever tried to be rigidly one thing or another I, I mean for me I'm I would say that what I'm writing the the term that I'd like to coin it with is uh antediluvian tribal punk um yeah, I like it's that. not quite fantasy it's not quite sci-fi yeah it's you know it's before you know it was but it was you know the, the the floods happening happened and it's got that kind of it's got to be punky i think um i think there's a there's that natural kind of british kind of cockiness because we don't really like authority we have these weird institutions like the monarchy where we kind of have authority but we don't really like it and as soon as you have authority i think british people naturally kind of want to rebel against it we can't help it and then we did and we ended up with america so well done us <laughs> i think you're welcome no i'm joking um your fault so that was the all messes. exactly it was the ultimate act of rebellion was it we're gonna go start our own country then we won't have any monarchs thank you very much no taxation without representation off your pop monarchs um so it, it, i think there's that natural rebellious kind of streak and so the I think you can kind of that, that whole tribal punk thing I kind of wanted to have that energy in it kind of mm. but if you did have kind of immortals running around and you did have an immortal kind of ruler well how would kind of you know would you rebel against that would you kind of push back against it um so in my head it's kind of like you know Sid Vicious's book kind of he's got like tattoos and tribal feathers but he's kind of dressed in that 
sort of formal 19th century garb of kind of like you know very very kind of clear-cut kind of um clothing very formal but with that sort of punky edge of piercings and tattoos and and that um and so i wanted it to be kind of kitchen sink fantasy i guess so it has that kind of science fiction element to it in the meta story um where um essentially in this this ancient race from a dying universe and they have heard the god song and that is the means by which they can bring their universe back from the dead if they can understand this god song um they can use it to resurrect their universe and that leads them by hook or by crook to where we are um and but they aren't the only people that have come looking for it and that's you know the elohim have have come looking for it as well um but kind of you know again going back to that kind of i wanted characters that were i wanted characters in the plot that would drive the story or live in the story and kind of live in these massive kind of momentous events that led to the downfall of this big civilization you wanted i wanted that you know i don't know if you kind of have kitchen sink dramas i don't know what the equivalent would be in the states but it would be it's you know it's what do, how do the normal people how do kind of the working class people you know if you're in lord of the rings and it's like you know you've got aragorn and legolas going off an adventure and you're like one of the kids at the battle of helm's deep it's like <laughs> um, we're doing what now that we're going to fight that army there the the vastly overpowered army i didn't sign up for this how do i get, how how do i can't leave we have to f- whose decision was this then this is awful I don't we didn't have a vote oh we don't have votes with kings okay cool this is all awful i don't agree with any of it after this though we're definitely getting rid of kings this was a terrible idea yeah 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 you imagine what rohan is- after right yeah you'd be like exactly. no more no more rohedrum like you yeah you're done <laughs> i mean where there's no walk that goes hang on what after though so we <laughs> did we've conquered the we've conquered middle earth can we unionize now yeah. we, is, there, is there a holiday package it's just we have been doing the war thing a while but then what what's the long-term game here sauron and it's kind of like that sort of question is like i'd actually i'd really like to pursue my art though i always kind of fancy myself <laughs> as a potter you're like yeah sorry you're an orc you're just here to die and you're like oh, i don't really feel like that's an enriching experience to me um mm. kind of that sort of like you know how yeah, do yeah. that how do those kind of characters feel about it like i'm being flippant but kind of the, the mundane of it like you know there's yeah. the, is there an ent walking around going like yeah i'm like the the kind of the end mood bit where the ends are kind of like i don't want to be in any way involved in this i'm kind of like yeah i agree <laughs> with them actually yeah like, yeah. yeah this sounds awful you go have your war i'm gonna not be in that um and just those little characters which is why samuel damage is a brilliant character because i oh, think okay. kind of the you know he was in that he was the, one of those first world war kind of allegories of just a small person that can make big changes yeah. i think also when we meet the average person and looking at the world around us they don't care and we're not really that interested and we sort of just want to get through the day because it's really hard being a person and those stories are quite interesting like we can't all be martin luther king jr we can't all be um you know barack obama we can't all be kind of these incredible like influential people some of us are just lazy and awful and a bit mean and kind of sarky and we just want to get through the day and have a beer um and i think that's fine as well and i think when you do a good genre you can have all that in there you can have horror and fantasy and comedy and sci-fi um and i think fa- it's the whole off clark thing isn't it i guess where you know you can have technology so advanced that you know it seems like magic and that's what i've sort of done with the with yeah, my yeah. book it's you have this advanced civilization that's come in uh, they've given all this amazing technology but also what seems like magic is actually forgotten advanced technology from a, a race that came before um so I think if you do it well enough, you can kind of have that Star Wars vibe where it's 
knackered technology or magic that is just something you don't understand. So you can have both. So I think that's that's I would say that's the genre. It's kind of punky Star Wars. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good way to there say you go. it. Well, I, I we've we made up a lot on here. I mean, I I tell people all the time. I got a like one thing I'm working on is like um, Romans versus zombies. I wanna I don't I don't like the fact that you know the the lost Roman legion they just got lost and um, you know went further north than they should have um, like up into Ireland and stuff and just you know got destroyed. I think that's boring. Um, so I want zombies to be the reason that it happened, and then I have a remaining crew becoming essentially like monster hunters so i i like historical urban fantasy for that one yeah um, yeah you know and i got a couple other i'm i'm always teasing people i'm like let's make our own genre you know and i'm like that's what people did anyway you know i mean that's what robert e howard did you know and that's what tolkien did so who's and i always bring up the golden compass you know because everybody's always like you know i think people forget about that you know like you can go find that in young adult sci-fi fantasy and, you know, you can find it in classics, you know, and depending on what country you're in or what bookstore you're in or what part of that country and bookstore you're in, you know, you could, you know, you could go anywhere and find it really in any section and, you know, still sold millions of copies. So, you know, at times it's like, yeah, genre helps at times, but at the other times it's like, well, maybe, maybe it's holding you back a little bit. So I always think that's a, an interesting one, but yeah, I, I like a mix of genres like Richard Lee uh, Byers I had on and. You know, he does a mixture of horror. Um, I get this great Marvel um, series out right now um, with Heimdall, um, the original comic, Marvel comic one. Um, oh, and, cool. uh, it's, it's like basically just Star Wars, you know, but in a Marvel yeah. setting, you know, and I mean, just just great, you know, it brings in his horror aspect, um, you know, fantasy and sci-fi and just just has a lot of fun with it, you know, and I'm like, that's what I like. I like a lot of the, you know, conglomerations. Um, yeah. Not a really, not a really, you know, I still read epic fantasy and stuff, which is great. But, you know, I like Malazan Book of the Fallen because it's almost like, you know, it's basically Star Wars, you know, it's fantasy and sci-fi and there's a lot of horror in there. So I think just putting yourself in, you know, in one genre at times, I, I think it gets boring to me as a writer and uh, as a reader too, you know, there's only so much you can take in one thing so i like that i like the the punky star wars i think that's a i think that's a great sell <laughs> we're rattling out these t-shirts daniel i think we've yeah i know right yeah i, I need to i honestly somebody said that they're like you need to go back through and then like offer them on your website so i'm like one of these days or at least bumper stickers we're going to do one of the two but uh that actually leads us perfectly into the third question so what is your book the god song about and you talked a little bit how you came up with this idea um, but I'm really interested in really just what the plot of the book is so far that you can tell us without spoiling it. Uh, yes. So um, the, the the core idea is that the oldest universe is dying. Cool. And the greatest mind of this universe wants to save um, his, his universe. And it starts off with him going back to watch the star of his birth dying um and him kind of it renews his commitment to to save you know all you know all life all existence within that universe and he is working on the theory that each universe and it kind of ties into where we are with physics at the moment um that maybe it was a vibration of disturbance of sound oh that's that cool. created that caught you know and it's the idea of like you know um when you look at mythologies and kind of also you know genesis and god spoke the word and it's that idea of magic and somatics yeah, yeah. it ties back all into that idea of somatics um that there was a, a single creative 
um, utterance or word or song or vibration or whatever you want to call it. And that's how it came to be. And he believes that if he can find that and he can understand it and if he can manipulate it, then he can do something where he can um, save his universe by manipulating that God song. Um, and so he, um, you know, he's kind of, the, when I say he's the greatest mind, he's revered as almost a godlike being. Um, so, you know, you're kind of talking like we have solar panels or he has black hole generators. Mm. Um, that sort of level of advanced technology. We're talking like Dyson spheres and then some. Um, there's nothing that he cannot do. Mm. Um, he And he basically kind of, he hears the faint whisper of this God song. Somebody in another universe, one of the younger universes, has experimented with the God song and for a flicker of a moment has realized it. And so he shuts down like whole planets and galaxies um, within his universe to amplify his listening equipment. And obviously that cannot go unpunished. He's destroyed the fabric of his universe um, in pursuing this single kind of this, this um, song in the darkness, if you like. And so he throws everything at it. And then obviously they come for him because somebody cannot wield that power you know we're kind of seeing that with popular powerful individuals at the moment when they wield power and inhibited it has repercussions um and that's what kind of is the that's the that's how it sets up that's the prologue um and he's, he's best and brightest and they come to a universe our universe kind of one of these young universes that still has you know plenty of time left left on the clock um to find it and they travel through something called the Shea, which kind of taps into the Irish mythology of the world in between worlds. Um, they, they kind of it's the membrane of universes. So I kind of imagine universes being bubbles, um, if you like. Um, and our universe is one of these. And so this abyssal, they, this vessel has this abyssal drive and it pushes through and it reaches us. Um, but when it reaches us, it's kind of, you know that this, this ship has left and it has come, you know, it's come to find it. But after that, you don't really know. And it's kind of, you kind of find out what happened to that vessel and the people on it um, through kind of tidbits. Um, and how, what happened to them and their fate is slowly revealed as the story goes on and is integral to the plot. Um, but also um, the, there's this kind of divine consciousness, this divine intelligence called El Elyon, um, which has sent celestial emissaries, the Elohim. And that kind of ties into that whole kind of um, Sumerian um, mm idea of these um anunnaki that kind of i think the sumerian um yeah, the, yeah. the anunnaki kind of thing these godlike beings that came with knowledge and 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 lifted us up and taught us our culture and all that sort of stuff um and it and i was kind of wanted her you know as i was reading kind of like where does the etymology of these different words so i use lots of proto-indo-european words in the book um so for example dergos um is kind of in, in another word for earth the people of the earth adam is again people of the earth the soil all that sort of stuff um and they looked at the the kind of the cain and abel story and the, the and it's one theory of the cain and abel story is it is one of the first interactions between hunter-gatherer peoples and then the more sedentary agricultural iron-working peoples um and so i was kind of the 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 main culture is a blend of the kn and the hevel and so they are this you know cain and abel that's where the story comes from it's an allegory you know the brothers actually an allegory for these two people that combined um under the the sarim um, which is the name of this immortal ruler um and the elohim have kind of built this um this hugh ferris like metropolis where the um citadel that you know there's an elohim citadel that sits at the heart of this city and it's kind of for me the the aesthetic the vibe is kind of imagine 1920s new york but there were these 
you know, seven, eight foot golden beings walking around um, and this kind of mammoth pulling carts. Um, and it's that kind of aesthetic and vibe to it. Um, mm. And on this one single night, so they celebrate this festival called Fatsaris. On this one night, this is when the first crack in that civilization's downfall that mm. led to eventually us begins to appear. And there is a secret society that worships something called the sleeping god and want to bring him, want to awaken him. Um, and they set about this chain of destruction, essentially, um, by using um, the engine of the Elohim Citadel. And the Citadel is actually their vessel, their ship that landed here. Mm. Um, but they, you know, we use it as kind of the, the, the tower in the middle of this city, which is the oh, kind cool. of the capital of this civilization. Um, and this, um, the, the core of this, uh, of this ship, this tower, uh, this engine has the, it powers the civilization basically. And it ends up kind of being used to open a gateway to the world in between worlds. And it lets in these creatures which have slowly been taking corporeal form. So they seek out these little scraps of flesh. flesh. So imagine what's left from your Thanksgiving dinner kind of all the scraps, the bits of turkey, and they start to build a corporeal form using the bits Ooh. of scraps and, and rubbish and throwing away kind of flesh and organic material. And they've slowly been gestating, but this kind of cat is a catalyst. Um, and so on the Vatsaris, there's a thing called the cleansing, where this kind of growing pestilence of the gull, so it's the Arabic word of the ghoul, the gull, you know, it's been growing, um, you know, the kind of the Elohim and the Sarim and this civilization know that it's a problem. So every kind of year about Tsaris, when everyone's celebrating, people descend into the bowels of the city to cleanse it. But this year, obviously, you know, these this secret cult, which has permeated this whole civilization now, unleashes um, this, uh, the, the opens this gateway and unleashes this kind of the, uh, uh, the exponential growth of these gold-like creatures. So, you know, instead of it, oh, my dog's just popped up next to me. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, so instead of it kind of being this, you know, a, a few creatures to kill here and there, it starts to become this whole deluge of evil and kind of uh, these monstrous kind of beings, which basically lay waste to this city over a night. Um, and it's kind of that is how it kicks off. Why did that happen? Who has let that happen? What are the events that have triggered that happening? Um, and there's kind of the, I don't want to spoil too much of it because it's kind of different bits where the, the city is attacked. And the city being attacked is again one of the reasons why this happens. So there's somebody there pulling the strings, somebody that knows this civilization inside and out, who has led to this moment, and how long have they been planning it? And why would anybody plan the downfall of this civilization? What possible benefit could it have? Um, and the, you kind of meet and one of the key characters here, who's kind of in the tunnels, who's a mercenary, um, is Samson Agresco, and he's a he's a conscript. So he's something called a twentyman. So every child that's born every 20th child is is going to grow up to be a conscript so if the nation needs them they're called upon so they're called the 20 men he was actually not a 20 man um he was a a, a number um he was number 18 but two identical twins died a couple of weeks before war was called he was going to be a scholar um and he's ended up kind of he got drafted at the start of this war and he became a conscript and now he's kind of on the side of it there's been a war um so he's grizzled, he's kind of a little bit broken. He feels betrayed by these celestial beings. Um, and it's about kind of how is he going to survive this night with his kind of crew of misfits underneath the city. Um, and then also, the, you know, the story of this this immortal being, this Sarum, this Adam-like character, um, who's become, he kind of sees 
human beings as like we would see fruit that we bought from you know the shops kind of by the end of the week your bananas are gone kind of brown and gross and that's how he sees human beings it kind of he's become so disassociated from humanity because it's it, it the lives expire so quickly for him that he kind of starts to see people more as like a, as a, a continuation of a family over many generations mm. and he's becoming less and less kind of he realizes that he's becoming less and less part of um civilization society um so how does this cold human being start to reconnect with his human nature you know he he's lost his wife um his son's turned against him um and he's lost his son you know long long time ago um how does this how does this human being retain his humanity when kind of he's watching people age and wither in his kind of view so quickly so how does he kind of get back into it and how does he reinvigorate himself to want to fight um and i think that's something maybe kind of all all have to deal with it sometimes i think we can become so jaded about what's worth fighting for so it's something that i really wanted to kind of play into um you know you're gonna you know you're gonna be a, a, a father soon so kind of mm-hmm. you know speaking as a father as well we kind of what gets you back in the fight what makes you want to kind of stand up for the things that you believe in um how do you you know when you just want to protect yours and your own how do you kind of make those bigger commitments again to society so it kind of plays into that um and how do those seeds of destruction how do how do civilizations fall and it's very often through corruption um and so what was the you know the ultimate betrayal of that is how do you betray you know civilization from within um you kind of sell it out but why would you um and it ends up kind of being the story of this one horrific fateful night in this civilization um and the journey that this conscript goes through kind of you know who's he going to lose along the way he's going to lose his friends who's going to have to kind of tolerate along the way people that he might not normally get on with and then parallel to this the different plots and characters that are kind of happening um that are going to end up being kind of the core team of heroes if you like because i think we all kind of like that idea when you get the like a a crew together kind of you know how do you how do you how do you assemble the avengers that's always a fun story to tell um so you're playing with the archetypes so how do i get a gallant knight character in there how do i kind of get the sorcerer character in there um and it kind of without giving too much away as they are going through this horrific night um there's an experimental procedure that samsa comes across um to try and save somebody that he cares for and that ends up discovering that not only does the universe have a god song but the human soul also has a soul song so if you discovered that you could um find each individual soul song imagine the vast power that you can wield can you bring people back from the dead can you cure all disease um so there's one of the characters in there called nostro leothoth and that's also it's his journey of he gets these incredible powers um potentially and how is he going to use those who's going to use those for um so by the end of it you kind of have this uprising of these horrific monsters and it's you know there's some brilliant kind of just great set piece kind of battles and as they kind of get to this dramatic conclusion of can they save the city in time before it's all lost and that's very much what the first book's about um it's that kind of how do you assemble the team how do you start to get the team together what's this big secret society plot that is unraveling the civilization and if you're you kind of pick up the clues i think maybe you know a savvy reader will start to guess who the real villains of the piece are um so yeah who doesn't like ancient cults and and mysteries thousands of years in the making so it's got a bit of a bit of a kind of a lovecraftian vibe going on in there um but yeah so without revealing too much it's that one one night of disaster i think we've all kind of lived with we've all lived with terrorism i think for so long now that it's kind of permeated our kind of culture and Mm -hmm. 
you can start to I think we can start to use that in a respectful way as a motif of how does it change our how does it change our culture how does it changes how do we how has it changed how we view ourselves so is that it's the one night of supernatural terrorism and how does it unravel civilization well that sounds very interesting um very robert e howard-esque uh to me i could definitely see uh yeah that's really cool i could definitely see some Really very interesting possibilities. I think you definitely need to come up with your own um, genre for sure. Um, <laughs> whether it's into and fantasy or something like that. Um, yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, oh, let's see here. Uh, I think this would be a good one right now. So when it comes to world building and making your world seem authentic to the reader, what steps do you think are most important? Um, I think... There's, there's a, I don't know if you've ever kind of listened to um, people that do impressions of different people's voices, um, but they always find a hook to get into the accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and, there's, and I think when you're creating a convincing character, if you can, can, if you can find an emotional hook for that person, oh, that's, um, that's how you can, you can start to understand them as a person. So for one of my characters, the, the Nostro character, uh, he's a Simancer. Um, so he was kind of he was one of the leading Simancers of his day. Um, and the way that the magic system works is that there's it's chorals of 12. 12 people have to sing in harmony and unison to evoke these God songs. Um, and he sets about one of his kind of st his story arc is he wants to create a device, a chymophone, to um, give that power to everybody instead of it being the preserve of these kind of elite choral groups um, of Simancers. He wants to make it universal, wants to give it to everybody. Uh, kind of that like Leonardo da Vinci, if man can ever learn to fly, then surely there'll be no boundaries and nations and there'll be no need for war if he can see the world as a whole, that sort of thing. Um, it's beautiful. It's, it's so sweetly innocent and naive and optimistic that we know that hasn't worked out because planes yeah. just ended up meaning that we could bomb people. Yeah, um, yeah. Or go on holiday, you know, whatever you're in the mood for, I suppose. Um, so you have to find that hook for a character. I think you have to kind of find what their motivation is. And so while there's that grandiose kind of scholarly aspect of Nostro, he's also a big foodie and he really loves his food. And he really kind of like for him, the most like delicious meal is this kind of is a, is a mammoth rib. Mm. You know, ma mammoths are still around. They're in the streets, they're in the cities. They kind of like, you know, there's aurochs and all those kind of amazing kind of um, Pleistocene animals walking around. Um, but he, he, uh, Pliocene, has it played Pliocene? Pliocene. Um, but there's kind of animals kind of walking around still. And he kind of, you know, this, he just wants to kind of sit down and, and tuck into this succulent mammoth rib, kind of in a Fred Flintstone kind of way. But he's sat yeah. there kind of like, you know, kind of like fancy cut, digging into <laughs> it, and he's fantasized about it. And he's at work and he's like, oh God, I just want to go home and have dinner. And dinner. he's kind of, you know, he's, he's imagining this meal. And it kind of brings that human dimension to it. Um, and the, as the characters kind of un, un, keep going, it's about the the really boring, painful mundanities of some of the characters have to arrange childcare. And for anybody that's after has to arrange childcare, you know, it's like, well, who's gonna look after the kids? I'm gonna go and kill monsters, but who's gonna look after the kids? <laughs> and you kind of start to, and then it kind of it brings up these interesting conversations. And you kind of, when you're watching programs, it's like you're kind of watching these programs, like you know, kind of the heroes and stuff. It's like, I wonder what their mum's thinking right now. What are you doing? Whoa, whoa, whoa! Trying to save the world? I don't think so. 
it kind of like I think that's quite interesting. Like you don't, yeah. you, you never the, the the parents don't exist, but we all kind of know. Like as soon as we step out of line, our parents are on the phone going, "Yeah, you're not doing that. What are you do? you're going to do what? She's an elven princess, and you're immortal, and it's doomed. I don't think that's going to work out. I don't know. That's an awful idea. She's not coming to Christmas. Don't buy her. She's not buy her. That can't happen. That's sort of you know that that how it's that 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 kind of vibe to it. How do you kind of get those? comedic but also kind of like painfully mundane things in there and those are actually when you start to realize the characters because i think it was like the the whole 24 series Mm. with um i can't remember the actor now but um yeah the jack bauer character yeah yeah yeah. it's like when does he go to the loo or like when does he like when does he just like have a when does he just have a sit like british people when we're tired we just want to have a sit and a bit of a, (laughs) a rest like you might have been driving all day, but when you get in, you just kind of, I'm just gonna have a sit and have five minutes, leave me alone. When does that happen? Kind of, you want those kind of moments because that's when actually you get to know the character a little bit better. Yeah. Um, when you're not driving, you're not so concerned with driving the plot forward, but you can just like, how do they relax? What do they do? How do they have those kind of interesting um, interactions with just kind of random people that hate them for no particular reason? So Samson, the you know the conscript character, people kind of have. I think some people can have a bit of a they can have a, a negative view of kind of service personnel in any in any country yeah, um, yeah you've got a very different culture in the u.s you kind of you've got that idolization kind of like you respect that service and that time and sacrifice given um but i think some you know romans kind of like don't come in the city no armed people in the city because every time we have armed people in the city there's a new emperor and we're not having that again you kind <laughs> of understand that yeah, yeah, yeah you know there's a bit of, a bit of a wariness there you could, what you've all got you're all armed to the teeth and you're going to just be near all the powerful people oh, that doesn't feel like a good idea to me um so they view samson kind of negatively he's a sellsword now he's kind of he does he's given up the kind of conscript life um he did his service cashed out his chips and all that kind of thing but people view him suspiciously so he's not respected he's not kind of you know he's kind of the almost that kind of vietnam veteran that came back from war that nobody really wanted to fight that didn't achieve what it was meant to and all that you know the lost generation that kind of thing um and people look down at him and the, how and i think that's kind of good i think you kind of want to have all those different you, you start you start to explore all those different ways that characters kind of hated and despised and looked down upon you know we can all walk into a room and for some reason though somebody doesn't like us yeah we don't know why like i mean it happens to me probably than it should um but you know we kind of you you, you kind of come across that. i think those are the interesting interactions we create in a character um you can find an emotional hook or a song for me so for each chapter of the book i've i've put a song at the front which kind of gets the emotional um kind of narrative i think songs are great and obviously music's really important because the whole cinematics thing and sound yeah. so having a song in there there's a particular character who um i don't want to spoil it she's a great character i absolutely love so she's kind of like a grizzled kind of like matriarch warrior kind of um hates her husband absolutely despises him um they're kind of you know he's a he's an ambassador she has zero respect for the guy he's kind of everything that she's learned to despise and hate um but she's kind of trapped in this loveless marriage with him and i think that's great that's really interesting i think that's kind of doesn't need to be perfect it should be messy and gritty yeah like exactly and exactly and i think that's where I come at my kind of characters with. It's like, how do I catch them on their worst day? Mm. How do I get to know them on that day and start to flesh it out and start to find their voice? And you kind of fan cast people in your head. Um, oh, yeah. And I think if you kind of go down that route, you can see you start to, they start to t- then take life of their own, like the whole Conan thing, whether you can feel their presence in, in your head 
Um, and I think that's that's the most genuine way of, of creating a character. Just kind of spend time with them, get to write loads of stuff that you're never going to actually write in your book. And just write like kind of you know, how what were the you know what are their parents like? How do they get on with their mum? That's the kind of you know how do they get on with their dad? You know, yeah. do they want their dad's approval or do they hate and despise and do they rebel? Who was their best friend at school? Do they go to school? All those sorts of. I think you kind of write you end up as a writer just writing reams and reams of stuff that you never will ever use, and that's absolutely part of the craft and just being content with being able to abandon all that stuff because it's all background and i think that's all great stuff mm. um so yeah that's that's how i go about my character creation think about on the worst day i can go from there mm, that's great advice i've not done that that's that's really good advice what is one thing you want to see come out of your writing in the next 10 years Oh, apart from a disgustingly successful netflix series and <laughs> like that. video game um yeah, I don't. Um, genuinely, I I think I'd like people to get it. I think I'd like people to get the story. That's I think it's that one. kind of it's the egotistical thing of I'd like it to be somebody's favorite book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that would be amazing. I think if it meant if it if somebody read that book and went, oh, this is my book. It was written for me. Um, so my favorite book is um, The Mask of the Sorcerer by Daryl Schweitzer. I think I'm saying his name correctly. Um, I love that book. Adore it. It's like Harry, it's like Harry Potter, but kind of um, set in ancient Egypt, kind of, but not really. It's got a kind of ancient Egyptian vibe to it. It never really says, um, mm. and it's kind of you know, it's bloody and horrible and betrayal, and I love it. It's a, a beautifully written book, gorgeous, um, really good, really good. Doesn't get enough. It doesn't get enough praise. I, I have no idea why it's never been made into a film because it's absolutely gorgeous book um or anything written by clark ashton smith that's never really had the same kind of lovecraft and howard have got that broader commercial appeal these days um yeah, yeah. lovecraft's very in vogue especially with guillermo del toro and kind of cabinet curiosities and all that sort of stuff but yeah. clark ashton smith was kind of slightly more worldly wise slightly more scholarly slightly more um i would say he was kind of the more oscar wilde of the of that particular yeah. trio um beautiful use of language um and uses some amazing words like orichalcum. Mm. Love that word. It's a mythical metal, and it's like I've, ne yeah, I've never yeah, seen yeah. that word before. And it's gorgeous, absolutely lovely word. And so, you know, kind of, um, yeah, that kind of popped into my head as something that you'd want to aspire to. But I, I would love to see it as an animated series. I'd love to see it as a, a film, kind of That'd with my cool. soundtrack. Yeah, um, I absolutely love that. Um, something that you know, if if one day could happen, would be amazing. Um, but yeah, I'd, for me, it would be be able to tell the rest of that story. So I've kind of, I've you know, I've got plans kind of for the to take it up to the modern day and really oh, sort of cool. see the end of our universe um, and kind of unpick some of those other myths that I love. I think one of my favourite myths to tackle is where do vampires come from. Oh, it's a good um, one. It's a pretty, and there's so many different versions. There's whole kind of, you know, the curse of Cain and all that sort of thing. Um, so I've got a version of that that I'd love to be able to tell um in that universe but i also there's a really interesting bit where those characters that you know it's set twenty thousand years ago um i felt like it was a decent amount of time for a civilization to fall and be forgotten about um but some of those characters i think if you depends how well the people have been listening to what i've been saying but if you probably put two and two together that some of those characters um managed to cheat death and are around today and some clues in their names um so how are they operating in this world of ours today where are they are they hidden around and what are they what are they getting up to so 
to be able to tell the whole story really which i think isn't isn't too terrible a thing for a writer to want to do no no not at all that's super cool well now i need an animated series myself i had not considered that that to me sounds really really cool now and with with what they did with vox mahina and then um on amazon prime and then uh i really liked um the masters of the universe revelations i just loved what they did with the show i mean just amazing amazing characters voices i mean the everything they did with the first two seasons i just i absolutely ate mm. it up I, I it actually got me back into castlevania and, you know so, oh castlevania i love that yeah i just enjoyed that yeah so yeah it was really good so i'm gonna have to definitely add that myself now <laughs> that's super cool um oh man yeah the vampire one like I really struggle with that one in my urban fantasy. And yeah. I was like, you know what? I came up with a thing and I was like, I, I all of a sudden it just like, yeah, it was like, I was by myself and I was like, how do I solve this problem where everybody's done this and that? And I was looking at different mythologies and I was like, I just didn't really like anything. And finally I was like, what if they were from a different dimension? And then some of them got stuck here. So that's actually what I ended up going with. But it was, you know, it was, there was so much cool stuff particularly in mythology and history to use. And I was like, I want to still be able to use all these things. So, you know, I just was thinking about it and I was like, oh, I'm going to do that. And it kind of like came in. But again, though, I was writing and I was slogging and it was crap. And finally I came to, you know, a couple of good ideas and, and put them together. So I think, again, that is really good advice. And the t-shirt will be forthcoming. So if we make any money, we'll, we'll just split it or whatever. So there we go towards you know editing costs and animated series <laughs> like that. <laughs> give us star casting that we want i think I would, if we were going to do an animated series matt berry oh would, uh, great if we, get some, if we get matt berry in there so i i we've we, we've just got the new series of what we do in the shadows over in the uk now so i've just started watching that my girlfriend turned around to me this evening and went you're quite a lot like laszlo <laughs> like, okay. she was like because there's a bit where he's like knocking on the wall to find the sound and he's, yeah, and she's yeah, like, yeah. that's exactly what you do you just punch a hole through the wall and then you <laughs> wouldn't find it and then you keep going and i'm not sure whether it's a compliment or not yet so i don't know if she meant all of his characteristics in which case i don't know i mean maybe need to have a word with myself but yeah yeah, yeah. yeah we are. <laughs> that is awesome well that's awesome well jack do you have any news updates current projects or anything like that then you can share with us before i let you go tonight so um depending on how much people do enjoy the first book two and three are in first draft oh that's awesome so, so hopefully and then review it so we can get two and three guys okay there we go there we go. there's a big old plug isn't there um, <laughs> it's all on you it's all on you ladies and gentlemen at home phone in now we're 100 <laughs> to make it happen um yeah so I, I very much want to continue telling the story um and then yeah, a couple of other ideas so some other stuff where i would quite like to do um a a, a story of starting the research for phases of a, a story about a um a priest in cuba kind of working in the cia and kind of his misadventures that's kind of a non-fantasy cool. story that's cool um and then i've just started planning out book four of the kind of the whole um that other series so kind of it started off with an old guy sat in a sat in a in a bar that he owns um and somebody walking in he's like kind that. of got a neck wound which is kind of going into that vampire story oh, um cool. but i'd love to do an animated trailer so i've written a script for kind of a very short animated trailer um cool. and 
yeah, hoping I need to find an animator. So if there are any animators watching, you know, give me a yell. Um, I can't pay you in money, but I could pay you in kindness. Um, so, you know, uh, if there is anyone watching that wants to kind of do an animation project, let me know. But um, yeah, so that's keeping me very busy. That and and also having a job and being a human and a dad. Um, so there you go. That's probably a full play, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely understand that. <laughs> I don't even have the kid yet, and I'm like, oh, I'm already out of time. Oh, <laughs> good boy. Good boy, disposable income and free time. Out the window it goes. I didn't have great hairs before I had kid. I had more hair and less bags under my eyes. Um, no, it's a joy. It's amazing. It's handy to have somebody who's compatible for as an organ donor around, just in case as well. <laughs> um, my youngest one said to me, Daddy, I'll take you out shopping when you're older. I was like, oh, that's sweet. What about you, big one? So these are the ones 10 years old. I said, would you take me out shopping? He's like, I'm probably not going to see you that often when, when you need that help. <laughs> All right, cool. He's, he's somebody's, getting, honest, right? <laughs> somebody's getting much less inheritance yeah. when, when that happens, just so you know. Um, so there you go. That's awesome. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, Jack, it was really a pleasure to talk with you. I am really anxious to uh, get my Captain of the God song and to check it out. I'm a history teacher. I love in societies i'm huge into mythology um that's why i love urban fantasy myself um do way too much studying and reading about those things you should see my youtube it's just full um so i love all that everything you said sounds absolutely up my alley so you added one reader so hopefully people you know in our audience go to the description check out jack's book uh the god song you know make sure you know you go buy it and help him out to make sure and me too because i really want to see an animated series now uh, for sure. So that just sounds absolutely amazing. Uh, and definitely my cup of tea for an animated series. Uh, but Jack, if there's anything, you know, we can do to help you out in any way, um, shape or form, just, you know, message me, tag me, email me and let me know. And we'll make sure we get the God song out there. And as soon as I'm able to read it around the child, I will review it and I'll be posting those on our YouTube channel. That's kind of what's going to be the first half of season three for me um, is going to be kind of posting those um, and then trying to go back and have talks with authors about their books. So I look forward to that. And like I said, I'll be sending out some emails to you. But other than that, if there's anything else we can do, uh, my friend, just let me know and I'll be more than happy to help you out. Lovely. Lovely talking to you, Daniel. Yeah, yeah. Great time. Thank you so much, Jack. Well, I hope you guys have a good rest of the evening and I will talk to you soon. Take care. Cheers. Bye.